maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on radios and Ubers or taxis or lifts. How to handle talking with friends about your partner. Dealing with gifts you can't bring home. Joining a family whose language of love is instruction. And gifts for master degree graduates. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on being quiet at the movies. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm pretty sure I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I'm glad you're you're on it. <laughs> I'm glad you know who you are. Dan. Welcome home. What's going on? <laughs> no, I feel all just turned around from travel. I got back from a, a wedding weekend in Utah. You said 24 hours of travel time yeah, just on was, the trip home. It was more travel than, than time at the wedding. It was that kind of a trip. The bride was very happy, and she looked beautiful. It was definitely one of those things where you, you have your friends from home, and they move, and they start lives places, and... You know they enjoy those lives, but you can't quite figure out why they don't come home to you. You know, you're like, come, just come back, come back, come back mm-hmm. to me, come back to your home. Your parents live here. Everyone you know lives here. And out in Utah at the the ranch that we stayed at, I got to meet uh, Jamie's friends and I got to see her in her environment. And it just, it makes so much, and not that it didn't make sense before, but it's nothing I would try to convince her to come home from now. It's like, no, this is perfect. When we got up to the site where the wedding was and you see the chairs and everything, but you look beyond the view and I was just like, well, this is just perfect for Jim and Jamie. And so it was great. It was a good a good time. Well, good for you making the effort and getting there. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to hear it went well for the bride and groom. It really did. Which is always the point of a wedding. It really is. Like, it really, really is. <laughs> so I organized the garage. <laughs> I, I put tools on the wall. I've got a nice winter section. The kids' stuff is down low jealous? on a shelf. Like, you know, this is like my favorite thing. Okay, so what did you get that made this amazing? Because organizing a garage, you can totally geek out on. I feel like this peace and calm, this sanity. <laughs> uh, it, it's really the final stages of our move-in. Okay. You know, we're in this house for not even quite two years. Okay. And there's some final just piles of stuff that came <laughs> off the moving truck or moving boxes. And it's been so nice. These long summer days, they feel like they're almost endless right now. I know. It feels like you there's so like much time to do things. So we live up in Vermont. We're far enough north that our daylight hours during daylight savings time get well extended. I mean, we are we are light all the way till like nine o'clock at night. And so there really is kind of a whole second day when you get home. And if you like to eat when it's dark out, that means that you're eating at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> or I'll grab an early dinner with Anisha and yeah. all of a sudden there's another three hours and I sort of wander back outside and I'm yeah. puttering around in the garden. And next thing I know, I've, I've got a whole project done that was sort of a wish list project. Yeah. I will bring it back to etiquette. Please. So part of cleaning out garages was an a dryer that we put up on Front Porch Forum, an internet message board that's very popular, and someone wanted it. They came to pick it up, and we were having a few friends over for dinner, and I convinced the dryer pickup person from Front Porch Forum, Anya, to come in and have dinner, and it turned into an unexpected dinner guest out of garage cleaning. That sounds more like back in the day. I always think of this when I think of... um, 
what was that lo- like lonesome dove you know back in the day like pioneer days where it was you were just supposed to take people in and it was this whole kindness of strangers thing and there's like a you know strangers coming in and they accept food and sleep in your house or your barn and you take care of them and there's all this trust and it's funny as a, a a single woman out there and and purchasing things from Craigslist and things like that, I would never want to accept an invitation like that. How awesome that you guys were able to kind of break that kind of uh, barrier that can really be in place between strangers and find a nice connection through this sale and a good dinner. <laughs> I was encouraging, I thought, in a pleasant way. Don't be shy. Don't say no just because you feel like you should say no. <laughs> Come in, have dinner. And there, there was – it was a sort of a family affair. I was say, there were some kids around yeah, and exactly. a few different couples. And Safe environment. <laughs> Anya walks through the door and she sees these drawings that a friend did of contact improv dance oh, and cool. says, oh, acro yoga. And I said, actually, <laughs> cool. no, it's contact improv. Turns out she goes to the dance pretty regularly that Pooj and I met at years ago. Oh, so no we way. have some some mutual friends, some connections. This is Vermont. It's a small community. Happens. But I think a new friend was made. So I want to say hi to Anya if she's out there listening. And there's one other thing that I was really wanting to share, and it's a thank you. I want to thank the Champlain Investment Partners and Harriet, oh. who helped organize my dinner with them last week. How it did was, it go? It was fun. It was at one of our favorite places, the kitchen table. Oh, I love that restaurant. So I stuck around afterwards and had a really nice meal. <laughs> nice. And it was an opportunity to revisit a client that your father, Peter, had done a talk for, we figured it out, about six years ago. Oh, wow. And it was fun to hear from the people in the room who'd been at that talk how familiar it felt and also how there were some new twists and turns and – it was nice to reestablish that relationship, and I look forward to seeing them again. Hopefully, it won't take another six years. <laughs> I hope so, too. Speaking of long time, I bet our listeners would appreciate it if we got to our questions. Let's do it. All right. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled driver's choice question mark. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Here's an awesome etiquette question for you. What's the etiquette around music while you're in an Uber? Is it the driver or the rider that has a say in what's playing? Oftentimes I get into Ubers and really dislike the music that is playing, but I feel uncomfortable asking to turn it off or change the station because it's not my car. But at the same time, I am paying for the ride. So I wanted to ask you guys, what are your thoughts? A confused Uber rider in Boston. It's a great question. I mean, you you kind of are buying the car's time. It's your ride that you're on, but it's also it, they're in their car all day long. This happens with taxis and shuttle drivers, uh, you know, just other places we hear this. And it can feel really awkward to ask someone in their environment, but it's your ride. Who has who has right of etiquette way here? The audio right of way. <laughs> I think that it's a shared environment. It's a shared space. You're there. And as our question asker points out, our confused Uber rider, you are paying for a service. So I think you have some standing. Yeah, I think, I think so you too. can ask. I think so, too. I Keep think, it simple, though, right? Yeah. And I think a lot depends on your tone. I don't think you need to necessarily say a lot. I think it's understood in this relationship that you're sharing a small space. So I think a reasonable request is going to be pretty well received. When you and I were talking about this, um, when we put the question in the show, you had said, you know, you could even kind of half step it with volume. And, you know, maybe you're not willing to ask for a full channel change or, you know, but you could ask at least for the volume to be turned down. And I think that's a pretty reasonable request. Most cars allow you to put the um, the audio coming out from the front or the back speakers. So that can be another way that Uber drivers and Lyft drivers and cab drivers can do things to help kind of control where the sound is coming from. But I liked your idea of going with volume if you weren't fully ready to go for channel changing requests. I really prefer classic rock. Do you think we could find a classic rock? Maybe that starts to get a little... Like four minutes you're in the car for. (laughs) Would you mind turning that down a bit? Yeah, I think that works. Can you give me a Lizzie Post tone on that? Oh, (laughs) sure. Sorry. Um, Let's see. Would you be willing to turn that down a bit just while I'm in the car? Or, you know, hey, could we turn the volume down just a little bit? It's funny how please, man, please not said right can really sound meh. But I think that if you get that light tone, if you try to make it short and sweet, it's easier to deal with than a whole bunch of explanations that follow. You might say something like, I have to make a call. Do you mind turning the volume down in the back? That's also another way to get that reference to there's control of zones here that might be less personally affecting. (laughs) What about I've had a really long day or I could really use a moment of 
quiet. I think you can say those things. A moment of quiet I, I like better than I've had a really long day because I feel like every that's like that whole busy thing. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that, that that's a good place to come from of, oh, I could really use like a few minutes of quiet. Do you mind turning the volume down? I like that kind of front loading your reason and not having it be something grandiose or big or dramatic. It's just, you know, I could just use some moments of quiet. Do you mind turning the volume down back here? Again, I'm really liking your tone. It's not, <laughs> could you turn that down? Yeah. Which rah. starts to become accusatory, attacking. It really is a question. Disdainful. And you're, I can hear the question in your voice. <laughs> I'm also thinking, I'd really appreciate it or thank you so much when they do it. Yes. All of a sudden... Now we're talking about a really polite, courteous exchange. Absolutely. Okay, here's the tough one. What about when it's like talk radio and it's material that you really that is offensive to you or upsetting to you? I would feel very comfortable saying, I'm sorry, do you think that we could listen to something else for this portion of the ride? If it's rising to a level where it's making me feel aggrieved, yeah. I think then you can escalate. You can talk about that style preference or yeah. maybe even open up the possibility that we just don't listen to anything yeah. right now. I think that's definitely worth it if if you're really in that scenario where the, the nature or the content that you're listening to is offensive. When you're talking about a service like Uber or a taxi service, there might be a tip or a review that's right. involved. And I think there's a real... A, a mutual benefit to everybody getting along well. I think most people are going to respond well to a reasonable request. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It brings to mind the third Rock from the Sun episode where he's learning about, you know, that they're aliens living on Earth and they're learning about tipping. And so he sets a stack of ones. He says, every time you do something wrong to the server, he says, I'm going to remove a dollar bill. <laughs> It's like, no. And it's so wrong. Like, yeah. Like, and yet. Yeah, like, you. it's like, it's really funny trying to balance the idea of the service needs to be good for the tip to really be worth it and feel like a good thing. And yet, at the same time, we don't let our money speak for us. And so there's lots of nuances in how to handle that tip and not use it, or even that review, like you said, and not use it as like a dangling carrot or a punishment, but to recognize that that is the nature of what's going on here a little bit. As soon as I think you start to say it out loud, that's when we really cross the etiquette boundary. I started to feel a little awkward saying it, so I'm glad you went here with your reply. But it is also part of this kind of service relationship. Yeah, it's an absolute reality. And so what my cousin Dan does so well is that he takes control of those realities in his brain rather than letting them exit his mouth. And he will say to himself in that moment where the other person isn't playing as nice, okay, well, I then have choices. You know, I don't have to tip you the extra 5% I usually tip everybody else. I don't have to leave you a glowing review. I don't have to leave a review at all. You know, I don't have to leave a negative review, but I don't have to leave a review at all. I don't have to do anything to help you out in this situation. We can keep it as baseline level as possible. And that allows Dan to be able to really uh, say things in the moment that are very level because he's understanding that he has choices that can allow him to do things that he feels good about or confident about, as opposed to feeling aggrieved that he's in this situation and he has to give a bigger tip and he doesn't want to. Like, you do that very well, cuz. I'm thinking about bottom lines as I'm hearing you talk. And if there was something that was playing on a radio that I found really bothersome or really offensive or really just way too loud and someone was being unreasonable about right. a reasonable request, you can always ask to get out. You yep. can always find another car. You can always 
if if it really warrants it, leave a negative review. Yep. And there are options. You have power. You have agency in every situation. And that can help you keep in that territory that you feel good about. No question. But to come way back to the start, it's a very reasonable request. Make it easily and it should be received easily as well. Although the average taxi driver works about 10 hours a day, only half of that time is actually spent driving. Driving is just one of many responsibilities. Our next question is titled, Who Can Talk About What? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Who'd have thought I would adore listening to a podcast about etiquette? (laughs) But here I am. I love your show and listen to it weekly and tell my friends here in London about it. Maybe it's because I live in a large city that makes your show more comforting. With the advice you both and your guests offer, I am reminded to always be the better version of myself. Thank you both for improving my life and being that reminder to take the time to think before acting and to put my best foot constantly forward and whether to take off my ball gown gloves before doing so. (laughs) I am in a wonderful relationship. We have been seriously dating for more than a year now and the honeymoon phase still hasn't stopped. Fictional romantic comedy couples would look on in jealousy. (laughs) All right, that may be hyperbole, but you understand my meaning. Despite how great things are with him, I still like to check with my closest girlfriends for what would be classic girl talk. We talk about our relationships, ourselves, but my closest friends and I always remain respectful of boundaries regarding our significant others. No nitty-gritty details, TMI messages about our sex lives, or obscene kiss and tell. But my... Mr. Oh-so-wonderful partner doesn't really like that I talk to my closest friends about him. I have assured him that I respect his privacy, but if things in our relationship affect me, then I do use my confidants as soundboards, and these specific friends live outside of the country. It's not like I'm telling people he knows or could meet easily in his life. But I understand it makes him uncomfortable, and I want to respect his boundaries. But I find my quality phone calls with these gals invaluable. I go to them for advice regarding this relationship and to listen out for possible red flags, and these girls wouldn't broadcast my tellings to the world. For example, I was invited to go to Easter to meet his family for the first time. Great. I asked both girls for advice on how to make the best impression. When he found out about this, I could tell he was a bit uncomfortable. I understand why he's uncomfortable. I would be too if I knew he talked to his friends about my personal details. But I do understand the importance of him going to his friends for advice about our relationship. Is there a way for me to respect his wishes, but also still go to my friends for advice? Or should I follow his boundaries to the T to ensure his comfort? What's the most helpful compromise? I'd appreciate any advice. Thanks for taking the time to read, and I hope you both have a great day. Yay! (laughs) Sincerely yours, Listening in London. Listening in London, this is such a great question. We're dealing with privacy, relationships, the right of the individual. I mean, whoa. (laughs) This is like loaded. Controlling behaviors. Controlling behaviors, all kinds of things in here. Um, This question does not have a one right etiquette manners answer. This is going to be different for all couples and all people. Um, It really is going to be up to you to figure out where the dividing and drawing lines are here. Um, You different couples handle this different ways. Some people don't talk about negative things outside of the relationship. And I've seen that work and people choose to do that not because they're afraid to show a negative face, but because often our friends and family who we vent to or talk about our problems with, then don't get enough of the positive story sharing too. And sometimes that can create a lot of resentment and make a relationship look negative when in fact it's quite positive or 
you know, or some shade of neutral. But it really is important to remember that if you do have people that you're going to, that you really balance the positive and the negative, that you give the fair, realistic assessment of the relationship. Some people share whatever with whomever and they don't worry about it. Other people try to keep some things to themselves or a therapist and deal with other more kind of lightweight things with other people, like your girlfriends or your guy friends. I want you to know, listener in London, that you're just not wrong for doing what you do, that it's not bad. You should be able to talk with your girlfriends about what's going on in your life. I think you happen to have done things really considerately. You've chosen people who aren't going to see this person on a regular basis and judge, you know, him based on what you've just said on the phone call last night. I person this is now personal. I'm not speaking just on behalf of Emily Post, but I think it's insanely unrealistic to think that people shouldn't do this. I think that it becomes very controlling. And so I don't think your boyfriend is is doing that or trying to do that to you, but it is a red flag to watch out for is someone who tries to isolate and someone who tries to put you in a position where you can't talk about your life with other people. To me, that's not the the way I would want to live my life. I want to be able to share things good and bad with my family. So if you happen to be similar to listener in London, but maybe not quite feeling the support and the honeymoon vibes, this would be a red flag to to watch out for. And I, I don't mean to kind of go too far down the safety camp today, but I do want to put that out there. I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind. And I'm I'm also thinking that it's an important part of relationships to have trust. Yes. And that part of a good relationship is trusting someone else to make good choices about maintaining privacy and what types of discretion to use when discussing things that could be considered private. And I think it's really important to have good communication about how anyone feels about elements of their life or parts of their life. Different people set different boundaries. Some people are really comfortable sharing all kinds of things. Other people are less comfortable. Some people are comfortable with this kind of thing and not that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Their partner of a year or 10 years is comfortable talking about that kind of thing, but not this kind of thing. Yep. And having a discussion, a dialogue about that so we continue to find out about each other and the people around us and where each other's comfort is enables us all to make good choices. There is also a certain amount of letting go and trusting the people that we're with and that we trust with the intimate details of our lives and with our company and ourselves to handle that well. And I hear a lot of that going on in this question. I I like the mention of – respecting his privacy, which tells me that probably some of the discussion around this has been about privacy and how people maintain that and what they feel comfortable with. Like you, I also think to myself, how would I feel if I was being told not to talk about certain things? And how would I feel if someone that I was very close to was talking about something I didn't feel comfortable about? And Mm -hmm. by thinking about both sides of that equation, I think it allows me and pretty much anyone who's thinking about this kind of thing to start to make choices depending on where the weight falls from both of those perspectives. It's not unusual to have confidants in life. It's not unusual to have friends and therapists that you turn to for real help. And often mothers and siblings and fathers are are also people in our lives like this. You're so right. It's important to have those people you can confide in. Yeah. And I think that's part of maintaining privacy. And privacy is important, recognizing yeah. who you can trust. I think autonomy is also really important. Yes. Having the the confidence and the ability to make choices for yourself. Mm-hmm. Here's a subtle territory choice that I think might be helpful yeah. in this particular situation. I don't think it's necessarily dishonest. If you have a discussion with a friend that's a private discussion 
that you don't necessarily have to report back to your partner yes, about. Yes, I think that's very true, Dan. <laughs> and it's, it, this is this is again subtle territory because I wouldn't ever want anyone to feel deceptive about this kind of a practice. Right. But if you're aware that your significant other isn't so comfortable with you talking about X, Y, or Z, but it's really important for you or not even important for you, but it's 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 low stakes for mm-hmm. you to talk about that thing. It's an important part of you being you to talk about that thing. Mm-hmm. If you have that conversation on the side, you're not hiding it from him. You're not keeping him from it. You just don't need to go home and tell him and report to him that you had this conversation. If it really is with someone where it's not going to reflect back on him, it's not going to be something that, that impacts him. I think that's a Another kind of privacy, maybe the other kind of the privacy coin? Absolutely it is. You're kind of identifying that conversation as private, but you just also as an individual in the world get to have a private life. I think in Sex and the City they called it your secret single behavior. And it doesn't have to be just because you're single, but like I think she eats like grape jelly on saltine crackers. And it's like it doesn't tell anyone she does that. You know, it's like it's a thing she does for herself and it's like no one else would ever know it. Like it's okay to still be that individual. And I love your kind of language of saying and to not feel like you have to report back. I think couples often feel like they need to report what happened when the other one wasn't there. What'd you have for lunch today? What'd you do at work today? What'd you, how was that jog you went on? And there is, there's a lot of kind of unintentional reporting, but it's just communication. It's just talking about your lives. And when you do seek out of advice about certain situations, I think that that's a good one to keep to yourself. And again, not out of deception, but out of This was your moment in your brain where you said, I don't want to turn to my partner for this. I'm going to turn to someone else instead. And for me, when you're making that choice in your head, that then becomes a private space. That becomes something that it's your choice who gets told what about it. And so I think it's really okay to feel confident keeping that private. Listener in London, we hope that this helps and we hope that you continue to enjoy this wonderful, long-lasting honeymoon phase. We can talk our troubles out this way. We're really growing up and growing together. <laughs> sure helps a lot when you can bring things out in the open, talk them out together. How do you feel about Central City, hon? Our next question is about flowers or toxins. Hello, friends from the East Coast. I work for a generous company, and I get to interact regularly with everyone from the file room to the boardroom. Every year for Administrative Assistance Day, the company gives out a lovely card, gift card, and flowers. I remember the first time this happened. I had only been with the company for three months, and it truly made me feel like I was in the right place after worrying I wasn't fitting in, as I was transitioning from retail to my first office job. This was a level of appreciation I had not experienced before in the workplace. I love plants. However, as I have a dog and a cat, I have to be careful as to what I bring home. They pick a different plant every year, and just so happens, unfortunately, thus far, they have picked plants that I cannot take home. Um, A lot of plants are actually toxic to animals, and a lot of animals seem very drawn to eating houseplants. So that's the issue that we're dealing with here. The flowers are very pretty, and it makes me feel good every single year. I like to show appreciation and in the past would just keep them at my desk. Last year, there was an email sent out informing everyone to please remove all plants from the office as they are a pest control concern and allergen to others. I don't want to make anyone feel like a gift is accepted without anything but appreciation for the time and effort. An executive hand writes a personal note on the card. So I don't feel like there's a way to say, hey, can we maybe have a plant that won't kill my pets? (laughs) 
Is re-gifting the flowers okay? Would it be okay to say, these are super pretty, but they could harm my pet. Could you please take them? Or does this fall under the never give a gift that is alive category? I know they aren't going to need shots every year like a pet, so maybe not. Also, I have less than five episodes till I'm all caught up. I don't know what I will do once I am all caught up. Maybe start a new podcast from the beginning. You all have named a few. AE is the first one I have followed, and it's been nice on the Metro. Thank you for all the work, time, and effort, Jacob. Jacob, thank you for your question. Clearly, you're a, an etiquette aficionado. You've made it through almost 200 episodes. I can't believe it. I can't believe we're almost at 200. And you've identified a lot of what I would think of as the key etiquette here, that you want to receive a gift well. You want to show appreciation and genuine appreciation. You're also thinking about the regifting option. <laughs> You're thinking about gift-giving rules like never give somebody a gift that's a burden to them. That's the never give a gift that is alive category because yeah. it confers a certain responsibility on the receiver that they may or may not want. Well, and it's also just to respect the life of like the animal that's being given that it's not a present to someone. <laughs> that's one of the other arguments. Also important. Less less a thing with plants as it is a thing with pets, but yes. And you're also thinking about degrees, gray area. Well, you know, this is a live thing, but it's not a puppy. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't need shots. I love that one. It doesn't have that much of its own nest. Yeah. Maybe plants, we could have an argument about whether plants or animals have more of their own nest, but I like all of the thinking here. It's etiquette sophisticated. Yes. Um, I think this is one of those situations where regifting is perfectly okay, particularly if you know someone who really likes plants or doesn't have a pet and would really appreciate a, a live plant. If it is a little potted plant, if it's flowers, I think it's easier to pass those on or find a safe place in your apartment if you want to enjoy them. Maybe there's a safe place, uh, a high counter where a bouquet of flowers could live for a little while that you could enjoy them. I'm also picking up that there's probably been some discussion about these gifts. If there was, was a new say. rule last year about potential allergies or pest control. pest control, I'm guessing there's been other feedback about the plant gifts. And there are other options for a company besides plant gifts. And as you point out, these live gifts are sometimes problematic. Flowers can be really nice. Plants can be really nice gifts, but yep. they can be problematic. And maybe the people managing and organizing this would really appreciate knowing how you feel about it because they they want to show their appreciation to you and they are probably going to want to do it in the best way possible. That handwritten note is a really nice touch, but that could be added to all kinds of different things. I'm laughing over here because I'm thinking like, on the good-natured, like, good etiquette geeky side, of course HR wants to know everything. But I'm picturing HR just being like, oh, my gosh, we have to deal with pest control and allergens. And now the fact that some people can't take stuff home because their pets might eat it. Here's the thing is that it's I don't think they're going to be pleased to hear any of it. But I do think that it's worth bringing up. And you could even laugh about that. You could even go into HR and say, so... I got the email last year, and first of all, I just think what you all do is amazing. Yes. And you, you start with the amazingness of it because that's where your genuine heart is at. You think it's amazing that these folks uh, do this each year and take the time to handwrite the note. And that that is worth expressing and starting out with. We always do the compliment sandwich, right? <laughs> um, 
But then you could say, I was actually really relieved to see someone spoke up about pest control and allergens because I have a different topic, but in the same sort of vein. I actually can't bring any of these plants home because each year a plant is chosen that happens to be toxic to animals, and I have animals that happen to really go after my plants. So just to add another layer to it, I thought I would bring that up for you all. Maybe there's something else we can do. And this is the part that Dan and I usually say, walk into that meeting with some suggestion for how to move forward. It doesn't even have to be the best suggestion, but it could just be something, something to get them going or something to show that you're not just dropping a problem in their lap. Share the resource that you shared with us about what plants might be safe. Exactly. You could share the same resource that you shared with us about which plants are safe with animals as a way to educate and inform those people from HR who, as Cousin Lizzie points out, are going to be probably smiling and a little bit grimacing at the same time as they hear this. The other thing that hearing this gamed out makes me think is that the the change in the policy about keeping the plan at your desk is another entree into that conversation that you used to take the the tack or used to employ the strategy of keeping that plant at your desk and now that you can't do that anymore you're now faced with a more immediate question about what to do with this gift it's another way to open that discussion in a way that hopefully will be easy for them to hear jacob thank you for your support for the show. Thank you for submitting your question, and we hope that we are able to produce another 200 episodes that will keep you equally entertained. Our next question is titled, Unsolicited Advice All the Time. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, thank you so much for your awesome podcast. I've been a listener for quite a while now, and I'm continually appreciative of the support you provide for being a kinder, more considerate person in a world that can sometimes be so complicated. Thank you. I am writing today to ask for your help with a family matter. My husband and I were married last June and love each other's families very much. He has a kind and supportive family. But one of their primary ways of expressing their love is by offering unsolicited advice in almost every situation. I am not exaggerating when I say that my husband's family always have a better way of doing something than you just did. Something you're about to do or something you are in the process of doing. They are not afraid to say so. Advice ranges from the correct way to choose a pet at the shelter to the proper way to close the refrigerator door. Often advice is given from across the room or even the next room over. (laughs) I used to be able to smile and shrug this off, but it's becoming more and more difficult to bear. Now, when I am in their presence, I find myself constantly on guard. Although I know these suggestions come from a place of love, they also come with an air of authority, which I find to be especially rude because I do not ask for this advice. My in-laws now live a plane ride away, so although the issue is less frequent, when we go to visit, we stay with them and the unsolicited advice is constant and from multiple family members. I find myself paralyzed, afraid to do anything in the company of my in-laws, as it's inevitable my smallest action will require correction. It's become a major stress for me to the point that I'm starting to dread these visits, which makes me sad because I really do love his family. I know honesty is usually the best policy, but I'm uncomfortable broaching this subject with them. My husband is very supportive of my feelings and is aware of this. He has offered to talk to his family about this on my behalf, but that just doesn't feel like the right thing either. I worry bringing this up at all could permanently harm my relationship with my in-laws. This behavior is so part of the way they are with one another that I'm not sure they could stop. I know that by doing this to me, they are in a way acknowledging that I'm part of their family too. 
I am humbly soliciting your expert advice on this matter. How can I be a member of the family without feeling like I'm constantly a target of scrutiny? Sincerely, super stressed with my new family. Super stressed. I have a joke for you. Hey, Dan. What's up? How many posts does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know, cuz. How many? All of them. One to change the light bulb and the rest to tell you how they would have done it differently. Ha, 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 ha. Our family does this. <laughs> a family of advice givers? We give advice all the time. So I get this from both sides of my family because I, my poor mother came from a mother who, my mom was like, you know, in her 30s, early 40s, has two kids and a husband and is staying at her mother's house and goes to make some tea. And her mother literally says to her, so you take the kettle and you fill it with water and then you put it on the stove and you turn the burner on high. And once the water is bubbling, then you add the tea, you pour it into the cup and add the tea, like literally explain to my mother how to boil water. <laughs> it's really easy, especially for parents and older siblings, to constantly offer that extra piece of advice, that way to do something differently, do it what they think is better. You are so smart to immediately think that this is not because they think you are incapable of doing any of these things, but that it would actually help and that they are trying to be helpful and get you solutions that make things happen better and faster in your life. And a lot of people don't realize just how overbearing this comes across as and and how frustrating it is to every time you make a move, like shutting the refrigerator door, to be told how to do it differently or better. You do. You feel like you're walking on eggshells. You feel like there's nothing that you can do right. And it really will start to eat away at you. I am really happy that your husband can see this behavior and is willing to stand up, but I think you are smart to actually not have him do so right now. I think this might be something when something's really egregious, I would point it out. um, Actually, egregious isn't the word I want to use for this. When something's over the top, that's one I think your husband could in the moment point out, mom, she knows how to boil water. It's okay. (laughs) Like, you know, but having him do it in the moment on something that's really ridiculous is the thing that would help show them the ridiculous moment and not the somewhat maybe defendable one, like the how to handle the tricky door in the bathroom sink upstairs. You know, I don't know what it is, but there's always something where people are trying to be informative as opposed to annoying. And I think trying to find that difference, your husband might be able to find some of the really, really silly and obnoxious ones and comment on those in person. I would leave all the rest of it out. I think you're really smart to look at this as this is a family dynamic. This is how this family works. They shout at each other from across the house. You know, hey, don't forget you could do the such and such and the such and such and then it'll do the thing because if you don't, it's going to do it this way and then you're going to have this on your hands. So if you do it this way, it works. You know, I mean, Dan's nodding his head over here going, I know this all too well. <laughs> what are your thoughts, cuz? I, I, I like the way you're thinking about how to just address it as it's happening. Yeah. That there is a certain good humor that yeah. I'm hearing in your approach also that I, I think makes that not a confrontational yeah. approach, but uh, maybe you just start to begin to bend and redirect that behavior yeah. a little bit. And it, coming from the third part, having the husband pointed out on those ridiculous moments I think is good. I think that if you tried to say something on a a, a mildly helpful moment, you know, one where maybe you didn't need the help or the advice that was offered, 
but it came your way anyway, I think that would put you in a bad position. You know, it's like if you're then saying, well, (laughs) or like, thanks a lot. I know how to do this. Then that obviously isn't going to work. I do think there are ways, though, that you could and I'm not sure you're going to want to do this. You could jump in and start doing what they do. And when they, so maybe you see them doing something, you could simply say, oh, in my family, we do this, you know, or, oh, I learned this great trick. Have you seen it? You could start bringing it back without not making fun of them. This is the trick. You cannot do this as a way of personally, quietly making fun of them. But you might feel better about it happening if you are participating in doing it as well. I know that sounds a little twisted. No, I'm hearing your your <laughs> advice to assert yourself a little bit in this situation. And I, I, I like this idea of not shrinking from it, but yeah. maybe internally you take it as like a challenge. Like I'm going to I'm going to get in this game. But in some ways, that's a, a, a when in Rome response yeah. that you notice this dynamic and say, I'm going to play along. I'm going to involve myself and engage. And like you say, not with a mocking tone, not with a confrontational or combative yeah. tone, but uh, hey, different people have different styles. I'm going to play a little bit differently. I'm going to learn a new game and see how I see how I do. (laughs) Totally. I also am thinking about the distance here, that these are limited durations. I'm trying to think of other ways just to stay confident in your engagement if you're not going to be able to change it. That the idea of just stealing yourself ahead of time, preparing yourself mentally and saying, listen, I'm not going to let this wear me down. I'm not going to let this grind at me. I'm going to take it. I'm going to let this advice roll off my back. I'm going to register it the same way I register my own internal dialogue. I'm going to use all the things that I've heard in this question. This means I'm really close. This almost means like I'm I'm part of the family. I'm hearing this very (laughs) personal internal dialogue and I'm just going to receive it as almost that self-critique that we all have. Yeah. And I'm also going to context it with the (laughs) self-love that we all have and I'm going to move right through it like that. Do you think there's any hope for as let's let's say that our listener ends up um, ends up doing this, ends up kind of jump, jump, joining the game, as we say, and kind of offering the unsolicited advice on a regular basis without the snark like we're doing it right. Do you think that it could show the family what this sounds like? Okay, so that that could be a little far-fetched or a little bit of a reach, but um, something that's less of a reach are our favorite positive, non-committal responses. And I love your thought, Dan, of like stealing yourself and like getting ready for this and bracing yourself for it. And I think thinking of some of these phrases is going to help with that. So just when it comes up, know that your automatic response is going to be, thanks for the thought, Uncle Frank, or how interesting, or Appreciate the tip. Anything that can kind of get you through the moment without completely taking on their advice, but allows you to have a positive response and move forward. I like all these ideas for different ways to handle it in the moment. And I also hear you say that your husband has offered to talk to his family about this, but you just don't quite feel right about that. And I honoring that feeling, I think... Everything that we've talked about is a good way to proceed. <laughs> I also, like your husband, want to open the door to it being okay to talk about these things. Absolutely. That particularly with you as a new participant in this dynamic, there's an opportunity for it to be talked about. That I think there are really gentle ways that your husband could raise this. I tried a sample script. Hey, mom, I don't know if you noticed, but we always X, Y, Z as a family. I think it bothers, grates on, wears down, super stressed with my new family. <laughs> 
could you do me a favor and try to dial it back or help me rein it in if you notice it happening? I love that. Asking someone to help you control something. Sort of bringing attention to the dynamic that's at play, talking about how he perceives it impacting you and asking for help or assistance. I think that early on, and this is still relatively early in what I hope will be a long and positive relationship, it's okay to talk about these things. And I can understand not wanting to go there right away, but if this dynamic persists and if it really is making you sad to go visit them or feeling like you're avoiding it and you don't want that to continue, I do think it's okay to to have these discussions. And there are ways to do it that are light and that aren't super heavy and shouldn't make anyone feel bad about their behavior or what they do. Super stressed with my new family. We hope this gives you multiple options to turn to in the moment. Adjusting to each other, adjusting to our marriage, sort of showed us how to face these problems. But on another potential source of trouble, in-laws, it'll be the two of us working together. Our next question is titled Gift Masters, and it comes from Karen, who submitted this question via Facebook. Dear Dan and Lizzie, can you please post a guideline regarding how to handle master's graduation gifts? If we have given an undergrad gift, is there a guideline for the master's degree graduation? Hi, Karen. Well, we don't actually have a, a, a set of guidelines to post, but I thought we could answer your question on the show. And my big thought here is offer that congratulations, have a handwritten note that you include with the gift. And I think oftentimes for professional degrees, master's degrees, or graduate degrees, you can think about the profession that someone's entering. And that's a nice way to start to give your gift some direction. Another thing that you might think about is the relationship that you had with the person who got that degree, maybe from their youth. It could always be a gift that's related to your relationship to the person as well as to the degree they just earned or the profession that they're entering. Those are both slightly different tacks that you can take but give you a, a set of options to think about that make for real opportunities to honor that significant transition in someone's life. Thanks for the question. We hope this helps. All the best. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And uh, this week, we heard from Jackie in L.A. who wanted to offer another form of review for the listener who was attending a yoga class on a fellow yogi's guest pass. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm calling in regard to one of the recent callers who was asking about how she could support the yoga studio because uh, her friend was graciously letting her use her perk as a member which I think is great. All of your answers were fantastic. But one thing that I thought of in addition that uh, the listener could do to support the studio was to post either a glowing Yelp review or check in on social media and talk about how much she enjoys the yoga studio. My husband and I did that for all of our wedding vendors, and they really appreciated it. And we do it frequently now with other businesses. So that's a great way to support. doesn't cost anything and just takes a few moments of her time. Thank you so much. I've been listening to the show for a very long time, and I really enjoy it. Jackie, thank you for your feedback, and thank you for leaving us a message. We love to hear our listeners' voices, and we love to include them on the show. I like your tip to use social media to 
promote and help out a studio that's done you a good turn. I think that's a really nice way to show your appreciation, but also show it in a way that is a benefit to that that studio, that organization. Take note, all you awesome etiquette listeners out there. It's a great way to show appreciation to something you love. Our next piece of feedback comes from an anonymous physician in Ohio. Dear Lizzie and Dan, may I let you know how much I love your podcast? Why, yes, you may. We we love hearing it. Your positive attitude and constructive comments are remarkable. I am confident that your podcast and other forums inspire good people to be better and widely reassure others that some interest in decency prevails in the universe. Here's a follow-up to one query from episode 191. Uh, In episode 191, we heard from Caitlin, who was our young female doctor who noticed that everyone was using um, senior people's designations, doctor title, but not with Caitlin. And I believe that this is a suggestion for Caitlin. During my own residency, a peerless former attending of mine inadvertently modeled a word choice and phrase that I have used ever since as follows. Away from clinical settings and patient contact, it is perfectly okay for you to call me by my first name. If that is uncomfortable, I can accept and respect that. Otherwise, if patients and anyone else at the hospital must know only one name for me, let it be by my title plus my last name. It's less confusing, if nothing else. The phrase works every time and can be deployed whenever. In a similar way, if someone intends to be respectful in introducing me by a title in a social setting, I reply, please call me by my first name. I'm off duty here. That also works every time. Keep up the great work and thank you. Sincerely, Anonymous Physician from Ohio. Thank you, Anonymous Physician from Ohio. You speak from professional experience, which is so invaluable in a situation like this. We really appreciate the feedback. I love the fact that you're parsing out when it's a social and when it's not. And also just getting to that line, that last line that you gave us um, about clarifying it for the patient. You know, doctor in my last name is what I prefer at work. It keeps it clear for everyone is a nice kind of short version of that. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript was inspired by a question that was actually sent in. So we thought we'd start by reading the question to you. Dear Ellen D., as a young person learning to navigate the world, I treasured Emily's advice and still keep her book in our library to this day. Now we have Awesome Etiquette, which continues her great work and extends the good word to new audiences. Thanks so much for your wonderful podcast. I enjoy it every week. I also enjoy the cinema. And for most of my long life, I have found great pleasure in viewing films at the theater with friends and in the company of strangers. In recent years, however, that pleasure has been seriously compromised by two developments. The first is the sale of increasingly large buckets of popcorn. Oh, well, I sigh. Not my business if gluttony prevails. (laughs) But it dovetails with the second. People, especially those in the row behind me who eat popcorn with their mouths open and because of the magnitude of serving size persist in annoying, distracting, and infuriating me throughout the duration. (laughs) of the film. What I could formally manage when people had better manners and popcorn volume was more modest has become increasingly intolerable. 
I have attempted to raise consciousness about this by turning around, sometimes more than once, and staring at the bucket with no impact upon the situation whatsoever. Other than standing up, reaching over my seat, seizing the offending bucket, and flinging it into the aisle, what might you suggest? (laughs) The intimate sounds of others' mastications are violating my boundaries and spoiling a formerly treasured experience. With gratitude and enthusiasm for all that you do, S. Oh, S. I share I share your viewpoint. This is actually why I don't go to the movies that often is I'm too annoyed by everyone else's behavior. And that's not just because Dan and I run the Emily Post Institute, but it's because it's supposed to be a quiet space. And I'm not sure why they don't have a cell phone check. I'm not sure why they, they insist on having individually wrapped boxes of candy that you then have to undo the box and the cellophane makes noise and the individual wrappers and all that. And then the shaking of the cup with the ice and the cell phones with the lights and the, this it's not for me it's no longer a pleasant experience so I try to go to like those morning show times on a weekday like or something like that if I can or I'll prep myself and I'll say to myself this is what this experience is now like this is no longer a quiet place this is no longer a place where people are going to choose to behave in a way that doesn't impact others and therefore I'm ready for it I am ready to hear popcorn chewing I love the point that our listener has made that the size of the bucket now means that you're hearing popcorn chewing and the scraping and the the noises in the bucket for the whole movie not just the first 20 minutes or what about the free refill bucket that inspires people to come and go from their seat multiple times throughout a movie because they got to get that free refill. It's crazy. <laughs> You're already anticipating some of the advice I'm that a, I want to okay. get to at the end. Is yes. When you talk about that that early showtime, yeah. because I think one choice is oftentimes you go to a movie and there's lots of room. You got room to spread out and just show up a little bit later and take a seat that's away from other people. And if you're choosing a... Whoa, my mind is blown because you go to the movies all the time. Is that realistic? I'm thinking of people in urban places where it's like every seat is filled. Not every time, but sometimes. Okay. And particularly with what you said about choose a a showtime that's not the Friday night that something opens. Yeah. But go to a matinee show on a Tuesday and you might find yourself there with six other people in the whole theater. It it really depends. Um, Or... If you really like that shared theater experience, and to me that's one of my favorite things about movies is that you're at – there's something about Mary and everybody is laughing so hard. People are falling out of their chairs and – it was a comedy and that shared, raucous laughter was part of the experience for me. I remember it to this day. Yeah. There is a movie out right now called A Quiet Place that has inspired a number of questions like this. I think (laughs) one of the reasons that we've heard questions like this and wanted to take this question today is that the whole movie is about a cinematic experience that builds tension in silence and around the whole idea of the absence or lack of sound. And sharing that quiet place with the other people you're seeing the movie with is a big part of the experience of seeing that show. And I think it's heightened some awareness about distraction in movie theaters and how that can detract from someone's experience of what they're seeing. And some tips, though, some things that you can do. This is one of the classic etiquette questions. Somebody is doing something in a theater that bothers me. How do I say something? How do I confront the behavior? The official advice is that you find someone withstanding to address the behavior, that you look for an usher or a theater attendant or a 
uh, an owner or proprietor who can address the situation because really they're the only one with the authority to do something about it. Mm -hmm. You've tried the reproachful glance and that is the – almost never works. (laughs) Sometimes if you're dealing with a person of goodwill who hasn't realized what they're doing is causing – you emotional harm or distress, the definition of rudeness, <laughs> sometimes that, that reproachful glance is enough to bring someone's awareness. But if it's not, if it hasn't worked, I don't think there's a whole lot you can say. Could you chew more quietly? Could you please stop eating? The only thing that's so frustrating about this is it's real. Like you can get the manager for someone talking on their cell phone, for someone getting up and down a lot during the movie, for someone if they're hitting you with their popcorn somehow. I Like those kind of things you could fix. But just sitting there and eating the popcorn, that's like – it's hard enough for us even with our friends to tell someone, by the way, you're chewing really loudly. Like I think that this is one where it's just – it's so hard to get someone to fix that particular issue in the moment. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and it's another example from our etiquette world is that etiquettes are little signs. Yeah. They're the little tickets, the little signs that tell us how to behave. And one of the examples of modern etiquettes are those little reminders at the start of movies that yes. say, quiet, please. No cell phones, please. No texting, please. When people <gasps> thought that the texting was OK, even if they weren't calling. Oh, my gosh. We need to bring back the old school advertising tricks but for etiquette and behavior issues at the theaters, they need to slip into films. Subliminal messages. Subliminal messages about not eating loudly and about, like, being quiet and, and not getting up too much and not turning on your cell phone or checking your text messages. Oh, my goodness. I'm not sure if that's brilliant or devious. No, it's both. <laughs> but when those signs don't work, it, it does leave us... Frankly, at a bit of a loss at a situation where all you can really do in that moment is remind yourself to take the most care that you can. Try those two tactics that we mentioned. Go ahead of time when the theater is really full and busy and you can just enjoy that festive spirited atmosphere. Go later on when the theater is more likely to be quiet and you can find that, that place to yourself. Show up a little late so you can pick a seat that's out on its own or where you're not as likely to have someone right behind you doing this sort of thing. And please, please, please continue to enjoy movies. Continue to go out. Hopefully we'll cross paths there someday. We might even have a a, a little discussion about a movie that we just saw and enjoyed because I am that person who will talk to the people around him after a movie about what we just saw and treasure those little moments. S, thank you so much for giving us a chance to talk about this. I am sure that we are going to have a lot of feedback and a lot of thoughts on this subject because, you know, going to the movies is an American pastime and we do not like losing our pastimes to moments of incivility. So my hope is that we're going to see everyone rise up and have better behavior at the movie theaters. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Our salute today is really exciting because it does come from a friend of ours named Jennifer. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I would like to offer an etiquette salute to the young gentleman who was seated near me at a large luncheon table at a professional conference recently. When I sat down, it was clear that he and a young lady had just introduced themselves and were in a pleasant discussion concerning their work. The young lady, in accordance with instructions she received upon registering for the conference, had placed a bright green vegetarian card at her place setting to alert the server that she required a special meal. When the server arrived and began placing meals on the table, she came to these two last. When she saw the vegetarian card, she told the young lady that no meal had been prepared for her and that it would be 15 minutes before one could be made and delivered. 
Realizing that she would be eating alone and during the presentation which was scheduled to follow the lunch, the young man, thinking very quickly, declined his plate and asked that it be held and kept warm until hers arrived along with it. It was such a small thing to do, but one that made a big difference for the young lady's comfort at that event. The two continued their chat while others ate and then enjoyed their meal together, quietly, while the presentation commenced. This gentleman was probably the youngest person at the table that day, but he taught us all a lesson in good manners. Jennifer. Jennifer, it's so good to hear from you, and thank you for this excellent and charming etiquette salute. It is such a classy example of such good behavior. I know. And while we don't know the preferences of either of the this young man and young lady involved, couldn't it be the cutest meat cute? I mean, like, you know? <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't even thinking it. I was thinking I it, but I wasn't single, even thinking single it. single girl. I can't help thinking of it, you know? <laughs> Jennifer, thank you so much. It is so nice to know that etiquette really is alive and well in the world from the young to the old. And our hats off to these two. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. Become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank Thanks, you, Chris. Chris.